0: hello i'm rachel lyman and we want to welcome you to interfaith connection a spiritual life center monthly podcast dedicated to the interfaith exploration of faith traditions that promote love our study will allow us to build bridges of understanding acceptance love and peace my partner in so many ways on this journey is rev dave lyman Senior Minister for the Interfaith Explorers. He's an ordained interfaith minister and my beloved husband. This year, we will be on a grand adventure of exploring interfaith. And we're so excited that you have joined us. So buckle up and get ready for our 2021 adventure with today's podcast. Hello. You are now listening to another Interfaith Connection podcast. And this the title of this particular contact podcast is At Last We See the Light. So wonder what that's all about. But this month we're exploring light and the part it plays in spiritual faith traditions. The ceremonial use of lights occurs in a, a number of different literatures, liturgies, Christian churches, the Jewish faith, Zoroastrian, Hindu faiths, and other cultural events. And I've asked my dear cohort, Reverend Dave Lyman, to do some research on light and how it all began and it was incorporated into the human evolution of humans, I guess. So welcome, Dave. Hi, Rachel. Boy, I haven't seen
1: you in minutes.
0: (laughs) And we're just rooms apart.
1: That's right. (laughs) And as always, I, I give thanks for the ability to do research because it's one of the things I love to do. And, um, We're exploring light because back at the beginning, when man lived in caves, even then, light was safety, light was comfort. When it got dark out, man was in trouble. There were animals after him and different things. And when the light came, when the daybreak came, things were much simpler. So since the beginning of time, light has been a powerful symbol for humankind. And because of that, it's always had a spiritual aspect. Humans looked to the truth that night was dark and dangerous and the light of day provided comfort. In addition, in looking up to the sky, they noticed that the stars provided direction and guidance. Light was seen as a symbol of joy, life-giving power, whereas darkness leaned toward death and destruction. It was even more impressive when man harnessed fire, and with that impressive element, took control of the light. Even today, there are two religions who turn to fire as part of their rituals. The Parsis adore fire as the visible expression of a person called Ahura Mazda, the eternal principle of light and righteousness. The Hindu Brahmins worship fire and light as a divine creature. And one of the most popular Hindu religions is Diwali, which in Sanskrit means a row, a series of lights. And we'll talk about more of Diwali later.
0: That's right. We're going to talk a lot about it. Uh, We have an upcoming Wednesday night, uh, August 4th, and Diwali will be in the second part of that program that night.
1: Which is pretty exciting. And how funny it is that I'm now going to mention that the ceremonial use of light showed up in the Jewish religion. The Holy of Holies was a cloud of light symbolizing the presence of God. And soon with a candlestick, and there was a central stem with a lamp eternally burning in each synagogue.
0: And funny you should mention that, but the first part of our program on Wednesday, on Wednesday August 4th, will be lighting a menorah, the Jewish menorah for Hanukkah.
1: My gosh, it's almost as if we'd planned this.
0: <laughs> almost.
1: <laughs> Light was such an important role of life in early man virtually all religions cite light as an early part of creation. Remember the ancient text said, and the Lord said let there be light. Humans have also universally seen light associated with good and dark with evil. Even in the process of dying, one of the common themes for people who have had near-death experiences is they are guided toward A bright light, so bright.
0: That's true. And I was raised in the Christian Presbyterian church. And we did hear about light a lot. Uh, God is a light of the world. Um, I taught third grade Sunday school at that time and taught the children to sing this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. So, and then in the Bible itself, there are a lot of mentions about light and the darkness being evil as well.
1: Because in the Bible, it says, and the Lord said, let there be light. Humans have always seen light. And there are many, many festivals and holy days surrounding light. And part of the reason we're talking about it is because we're going to be sharing some of those in our programs coming up. One on August 4th that we'll continue to talk about all through this podcast. So let me go through a few of the light festivals and realize there is much more to these light festivals than what I am sharing today. As we start out with Diwali, meaning again a series of lights, it symbolizes... The spiritual victory of light over darkness, good over evil, and knowledge over ignorance. It is five nights long and is celebrated with different elements each day. Lights and celebrations surround the feast. Some festivals are actually known as the Festival of Lights and they're even celebrated outside the countries of their origin. Diwali is translated as the Festival of Lights and celebrated for five days in Hindu arenas, in some Sikh arenas, in many different places. It occurs in the autumn. And houses and businesses get cleaned as part of the ritual. The lighting of oil lamps occur before dawn and dusk. Houses are decorated with oil lamps. And part of it is a colorful design called a Rangoli. And Rachel, I believe is even going to do a rangoli? You want to say something about that, Rachel?
0: Yes, on August fourth, we've actually I've actually uh, orchestrated three uh, large rangolis in the Spiritual Life Center courtyard over the years. But uh, for our program uh, Wednesday night, August fourth, I'm going to do a table rangoli. And what so is a rangoli? It's it's a symbol of welcoming, a celebration. Uh, during the five days of Diwali. And what I found was quite interesting that it's mainly the women who actually create the designs or, or create the Rangolis. And some designs are made, created, and handed down generation to generation. So it's almost like a family uh, uh, Rangoli, family image. And it's uh, they're made with uh, colored chalk Bright colored chalk, uh, bright uh, colored uh, sands, sometimes uh, beads or uh, seeds from plants, uh, flower petals. And then when it's all done, they take little tea lights and put tea lights uh, within the image and all around. So that's part of the festival.
1: So it's much like a Mandela.
0: It's
1: very similar to a mandala. Excellent. Another festival of lights is of course, Hanukkah, where an eight or nine branch menorah is lit up through the eight days. And the ninth branch is considered to be a shmash. I may have pronounced that wrong, but it's similar to an attendant. This holy time commemorates the rededication of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem because there was only enough oil to keep the candles of the menorah burning for a single day. And the miracle was, the menorahs burned for all eight nights. There are other light festivals all over the world. There is one in Thailand called the Floating Lanterns. It's about good deeds, and the lanterns are made from rice papers. And they float out over the ocean and make a beautiful scene. There's a lantern festival in China, which has been celebrated since 200 BC. It is Buddhist in nature, and it results from a time when the emperor watched the monks protect the remains of the Buddha. They lit lanterns to worship the Buddha, and it eventually became a festival as the emperor said, I want to celebrate this across the country. In Scandinavia, there is Saint Lucia's Day, which is a festival of lights celebrating Saint Lucia, a Christian martyr. The festival is about home and light, and is very symbolic. There is a festival of lights in Lyon set around the inauguration of the statue of the Virgin Mary. The areas decorated in this festival of lights are windowsills and balconies, and this began in one thousand, eight hundred and eighty-nine last four days. The entire city is illuminated, and it's one of the premier events for light displays. There are still light festivals birthing. In 2005, a festival light started in Berlin as a high quality artistic public event to share light and culture. It continues to show that darkness is considered to be death, destruction, and chaos, and light for early man and even man today was life-giving. Thus a number of sun-worshiping deities showed up in different religions. Artificial sources were tied into fire because man had finally, finally harnessed it. Another part I have, Rachel, if you wouldn't mind, is to talk about the history of light in cities. Would you like to hear that?
0: Why sure I would. Go right. As you know, cities
1: uh, were places where people gathered in communities for different reasons. It may have been the place where a river came to an apex between two rivers It may have been a hill in a valley that could be protected. But because of the dark and the dangerous of dark, early cities and communities had walls around them and their gates were closed at night and no one was let in at night. Not only that, but because of the fact of the ultimate darkness everywhere People went in after dark. There was a threat that anyone out after dark was a criminal. Well, people, as they gathered in communities, finally got to the point where they wanted to go visit someone. They wanted to spend some time together. So the cities first didn't illuminate. They came up with torch boys, which were young men who were hired to come to a place with torches and guide people to wherever it was they were going. Unfortunately, some of the torch boys weren't quite filled with integrity. And some got into partnership with people who were less than stellar and some got known for a reputation of, if you go out with Joe the Torch Boy, you won't make it to the place you're going without being robbed. They what, were still... Pardon?
0: Sorry, uh, they, when you were doing your research, you talked about glass tax. Can
1: yes, you, that's next.
0: Can you uh, explain what that's all about?
1: Yeah. That, that was next on the list. Because... As people gathered together in cities, and they did start to put torches on corners, on poles, almost almost like lamps, people started to realize because glass was now available, sunlight architecture started to appear. People started to have homes that had windows. But because the glass was very expensive, The windows were expensive. And of course the cities immediately decided they were going to tax the windows more than anything else. It actually became called a window tax. So if I were a person building a house and I put in eight windows, I would have eight windows taxed at a higher rate. Out of this came the term daylight robbery which was the term of I'm being taxed to not allow daylight into my house. The light and dark meant that the cities really aimed to try to light up using gas, using torches, whatever. So that in 1667, Paris started lighting her streets. Amsterdam in 1669, Berlin in 1682, London in 1683. Houses, however, were still mostly dark. The light where humans gathered did not start to spread until the 1930s. And even then, only wealthy people, just two or three generations back, did not have a lot of light. We have two gas oil lanterns. I say, actually, they're oil lanterns. And one is a knockoff that I picked up that's probably 20 years old, it's made to look antique. The other one, however, is over 150 years old and is an antique. And we find that when the electricity goes out in our house, it is so interesting because the one that is the antique does a beautiful job of bringing light to an area whereas the new one doesn't do so good a job. So it really pointed out that people had homes where they would have seven or eight oil lanterns. And to give you an idea of the difference in lighting, when regulations were first set for office lighting and electric was first being set up in in the public areas, The original recommendation for office lighting was a level of 50 lux is what the level was. Today, all offices are lit in the excess of 1000 lux. So you can imagine how dark the offices were in the beginning
0: that's just a fascinating story about the history of light and how, uh, how it all came to be. It's very fascinating. Let's take a look at light as a spiritual value and spiritual good as an interfaith minister. Can you speak to that? And uh, how does light make a difference in our lives?
1: Well, because of what it is associated with, there's more to light that meets the eye. Light mostly goes unseen. It's, It's like the wind. We're outstanding in it and realize we can see. So light conveys an absence of darkness. Light conveys the ability to see and to understand. And we end up with terms like the light of wisdom that will guide us through troubled times. Light also communicates joy.
0: And when you mention the light of wisdom, oftentimes you see in a cartoon or uh, somewhere a light bulb with little dashes around it. And light bulb signifies that someone had an idea. The light came on and some uh, within them, and an idea evolved.
1: That's true, so, and light also communicates joy. There's a saying that angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. A light heart is wise. It's not held down by thoughts of doom. The person who is light-filled is someone who laughs easily and bounce back with resilience. Light always, always is for the highest good. And in that process, then we start to ask ourselves questions like, spiritual light, what is it? Can it be quantified or qualified? How do we use it? When and where? How does it make a difference? When I do meditations, I will often start the meditation off, asking people to take a breath and allow themselves to be filled with the light of spirit moving within. It's kind of a misnomer because we already are filled with the light of spirit. So it's more recognizing within us.
0: Also, the meditation that you and I do, it's a Jene, Reverend Janae Martha meditation is a, a healing meditation, and it talks about letting in the light, the healing light of spirit throughout in throughout your body, let it flow throughout your body in various areas.
1: There's a wonderful acronym for light, which is letting inspiration guide higher thought. Let me do that one more time. It is letting inspiration guide higher thought. The presence of light in any spiritual situation brings a softness and a sweetness. It brings a sense of trust and well-being. Because it's ageless, it's universal. We've had light since the beginning of time. It's the purest energy coming from the highest source. Our ancestors have been provided with power and protection, guidance and blessing with light. One of the signs of spiritual growth is the point in time when we become more awake and realize we are the light. The energy of the light is the spiritual force that is present within all of us. It activates all things. It is a guide within us that helps our consciousness become more aware, more understanding.
0: One of the things that I uh, read during your when you prepared your research was a statement: "Light does not inflict itself on anyone or anything, and it must be invited. Invited, so you are stay fully present and know that you're letting that light within you. And when you let light within you, sometimes you have to let go of other things." that maybe are weighing you down to let that light in. Fill that space with more light.
1: And if we step into the unity principles, we are what we think. And in truth, we are light-filled. We can ask for the light to come into our lives, but it's already there it's already working for our highest good. And it's so interesting to me that each of us can easily see the light in our friends, in other spiritual leaders, in people outside of us. But how much more difficult is it for us to stand in front of a mirror and see the light within us?
0: And I think the uh, since light is universal, as we look at uh, various faith traditions in our interfaith uh, uh, quest for education and interfaith, it's it's amazing to find out find so many similarities of faiths, faith using light in some some form, candles. Lighting menorahs, lighting candelabras, uh, tea lighting, um, fire lighting, whatever. And it, it, it for me, it brings uh, a commonality there. It reminds me that we are all one, we are, if we are all light. That means that people who are using the same ideas, using light, in their rituals and their blessings and their celebrations are realizing the same thing as we are.
1: And that doesn't even take into account, we have not talked about this, the use of light in romance and love-based things. One of the truly important things in a relationship is at some point in time to have a dinner with candles lit. We are setting the space filled with the light of spirit and the light of love. We are making a safe place of comfort for our partner and letting them know we value them. I
0: think any time I've ever consciously lit candles, it brings me to a spiritual place. When we, before we start our meditations, I have a series of candles that I light. And with each, each candle lit, I concentrate on a particular uh, value, compassion, communication, love, forgiveness, and then we light the central candle, which is for us, the Christ candle. And that incorporates all of those values. Uh, so it sets a sacred space, sacred place, sacred space. And it's true when I have dinner with someone with candlelight, it's very special. It just sets a sacred, loving space.
1: And that's part of what we'll do August 4th. When we start the service, it will be much as we did in 2015 when we had our program. We will start it by lighting a Christ candle. By setting sacred space. And that, knowing that there is darkness outside, sets safety, sets comfort Sets a love based for the highest good. Thus, we know that our light is a safety net, an insurance policy.
0: Now, what I found is not every faith tradition uh, has uh, rituals of, regarding candles and light, but they do have their own specific ways of. Uh, staying, uh, starting a service, they have a sacred thing that they do. I was raised a Presbyterian, as I said, and they always lit a, a Christ candle before the service started. Unity is the same way. Every unity church I've been to and participated in always starts by lighting the Christ candle. So there's, it's the light, the ritual of light brings us back to our spiritual roots, brings us back to our spiritual center. For me anyway, it does. And I just absolutely amazed at the various um, light festivals all over the world. Some of those I've never heard heard about. So it's pretty fascinating to, to know that all of this is going on and um, with YouTube, I think I'm going to look at some of those. And, and as you're watching a YouTube uh, celebration, you can almost feel like you're there as well, which is kind of special.
1: Yeah, it's much a much smaller world. And so many of the things we're talking about tonight can easily be found on YouTube. It's interesting to me that... <clears throat> In unity, we use the expression calling in the light, when in truth, the light is already here, it's everywhere present. So really what we are asking for is to be conscious, to be more aware, to be awake around the presence of light, to know at a deeper level that we are the light bearers as Marianne Williamson would say, we are the light. We give out the light, we receive the light. And in those precious moments, we join together in a completely different way.
0: And I'm my memory takes me back to <clears throat> beautiful candlelight services at Spiritual Life Center, where the room was darkened and one candle was lit from the Christ candle. And then that candle was lit to uh, that. They took that and lit other candles. And as each row of candles got lit, you could see more and more light come into the room. Just such a special and beautiful experience of knowing that even if you light one candle in the darkness, that's gonna brighten, brighten the world, brighten spirits. So that's a beautiful memory for
1: me. One of the forms, as you know, I ran the prayer chaplain program for a number of years. And one of the forms of prayer is to surround a person with the precious light of spirit. And as we do so, we see them surrounded by this light And we know that that light changes everything. It's that process of keeping it simple. And in that process, as you listen to the podcast right this very moment, from wherever you are, as we all take a breath together, just imagine someone in your life. Could be a friend, it could be a partner, it could be a spouse, it could be a child. Imagine them, as you take a deep breath in and connect with the light that you are, imagine them surrounded by light, by the light of spirit that connects them in a deeper way with all that is. We don't have to spell out all the details of the challenges they may be living or the issues in their lives it doesn't need to be that complicated all we need to do is see them surrounded by light and in doing so we place the situation in God's hands we let God handle the rest of it because in truth light always overcomes the darkness that's a phrase if you've Pick up nothing else from this podcast to go out into the world and realize that no matter what happens, light will always overcome darkness.
0: Well, thank you for all of that research you've done, and and I want. Well, I
1: have more, but.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I understand you've uh, written a prayer for light. Did you want to do that now or? Are you quite ready for that?
1: I could do that. It's almost as if
0: you knew what I was doing. I would love to have you do that. A A prayer for light.
1: So let me close today's podcast with a prayer for light. Take a deep breath and settle within to that place of light within you. Don't worry about closing your eyes. Leave them open because you may be in a situation where you need them. But just join with us today as we say the following Dear God, with you there is no darkness, your character has no shadows and you are pure and good. Yet today in our world, we see much darkness, filled with pain and sickness and disease and chaos. We ask that you bring your light and restore presence to the dark places in our lives. Restore presence to the shadows and the corners Bring the softness of the sweet light of spirit to these places. And in doing so, bring hope to our hearts. Bring your love and your compassion to us. In the busyness of today, help us to take a moment to be still with you. Take a breath right now. Let that spirit, that light fill you in a deeper way. As for just a minute, we'll sit in stillness for just a minute. So as we take a deep breath, we fill our lungs with the light, the rhythm of our heartbeat, knowing in truth we have slowed down, knowing in truth and breathing deeply, We have connected with the light within us. And in doing so, our burdens are released. We open our eyes and everywhere we look, we see you at work we see the light that you shine upon us today we see it in every corner as good deeds are done as hearts are shared we see it in the goodness of the hearts of people We ask you to continue to open our hearts to the full presence of this light. To see it in a deeper way wherever we look. As you shine away. Shine away in the sweetness and spirit of who you are and who we are. And we say all of this in the name of the ever shining light of spirit you are. Thank you God, thank you God, thank you God. And so thank you so much for letting me speak about light, work a little meditation with light, And in my close, I want to turn it over to you to talk about August 4th, because there's lots coming up.
0: Well, first of all, Dave, I want to thank you so much for the hours you spent researching light, light as as a human evolution of light and spiritual evolution and some of the beautiful light festivals around the world. And that beautiful prayer, we really appreciate that. Yes, uh, I wanted to mention that in August, our August podcast, we're going to have a very special guest. His name is George Wald. He's 97 years young, and he's an emeritus cantor of the Jewish faith. And he's going to talk about his life. He's very lively. So it should be a wonderful, wonderful podcast. So yes, on August 4th, we will have Anne Roach as a guest and her mother, Carol Bruce. And they're going to light a Hanukkah menorah for us and do the blessings that go along with that. And then I will be making the tabletop rangoli, as I said earlier. Um, so it should be quite an interesting evening. We also have in September, September 15th, Save the Date, another Wednesday night program. And we'll be continuing our exploration of light festivals. And at that time, I have two guests from my former Presbyterian church, Reverend Judith Davis and a dear friend, Kathy Frank. And they're going to talk about light the Christian Advent wreath. And in addition to that, I will have a Kanara, And that is a candelabra that is used for the African-American celebration called Kwanzaa. So we have a lot in store coming up. So I hope you join us either virtually or in person. I so to- also want to
1: remind you that the Interfaith Explorer's is a group that if you do not belong to it, you can subscribe at, what's the uh, email, Rachel? Interfaith at
0: SLC. Yes, I can put you on a list where you'll get our Interfaith Explorers monthly newsletter. And how do they and do it? They send me an email at interfaith at slcworld.org. That's interfaith at slcworld.org and ask to be put on the Interfaith Explorers mailing list. We'd love to have you join us. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Oh, wait a
1: minute. I'm did not done. Last, last word? I'm not done. <laughs> we do want to remind everybody that this is an active process. Since the very beginning when Rachel did her first um field trips and things in 2008, it has always been a participatory program. And of course, because of COVID, we have not been able to do that to the level we would like. But things are changing. So if there are field trips that interest you, if you've been driving past a particular synagogue, temple or or mosque for years, and you'd like to visit it, please also email Rachel, because there will come a time when we will again be doing field trips. And as one person once said, before we went on this field trip, I had never met a Muslim, and now I have some who are my friends. So join us to learn more about other faith traditions with the queen of interfaith, (laughs) Rachel Lyman.
0: Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today to experience and explore a deeper understanding of our interfaith look at the world. Our next podcast will be available the last Friday of the month, but we want to hear from you. So send us your comments, questions, and suggestions interfaith at slcworld.org. That's interfaith at slcworld.org. Because we want to know about your interfaith art. So let us all remember as we go on our different paths that Gandhi said, a peaceful exploration of all faiths is our sacred duty.